0: Hey everyone, right here. Before we get started, I want to thank all my listeners, supporters and Supercast subscribers. Together, we're taking this journey into blockchain through the lens of health and life sciences. The projects and guests on this podcast come from diverse networks and each bring a unique perspective into this quickly evolving space. At Health Unchain, we're in it for the long haul. We're still very early on the Web3 adoption curve, especially in healthcare. And there are many challenges some of them obvious and some of them more hidden i hope these conversations help you discover new insights and also keep you entertained for early access to ad free uncut recordings and other premium content you can subscribe at healthunchain.supercast.com. thank you some quick announcements before we dive into the interview the first announcement is that health unchained will be a media partner for the next blockchain and healthcare today conference in new orleans september 2023 keep an eye out for updates in the coming year the second announcement is to raise awareness about the decide london event january 15th and 16th there will also be a two-day in-person hackathon on january 13th and 14th in this episode i speak with joshua Bate and jelani clark core leaders of the decide world project working to help the decide community organize and reach a wider audience from exploring the real applications of NFTs to discussing the importance of metadata and research industry self-regulation, this episode dives deep into the possibilities of decentralized science initiatives and how they can revolutionize the way science works. I really enjoyed this discussion, and I hope you do too. Remember, the Health on podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only, and we are not providing any sort of legal, financial, or medical advice. Please do your own research and due diligence before making any important decisions related to these matters. And now let's get to the show. Hi, I'm your host, Ray Dogan, and welcome to Health Unchained. On this show, I'll be speaking with healthcare entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and executives who are using blockchain technologies to revolutionize healthcare. These innovators are building the distributed infrastructure and diverse communities required for a trusted, secure, and decentralized healthcare ecosystem. Enjoy the show. What is blockchain? What is blockchain? Is blockchain. Is blockchain. What is
1: blockchain? The doctor will see you now.
0: Welcome to the show, guys. Joshua Bate and Jelani Clark. These guys are here representing Desai World. They are basically the core team of Desai World. Guys, can you quickly introduce yourselves and we can get into the conversation today about DeSci and how it's growing in the blockchain space?
1: Yeah, sure. I'm Joshua. I'm the founder of DeSci World. DeSci World is a community information aggregation and engagement platform for the DeSci space. I started DeSci World in October last year. It's sort of been growing steadily since then. And over the past six months, we brought on a wonderful team of which Jelani is right as part of. And so yeah, thank you for having us.
2: Yeah, Raymond, thanks for bringing us on. So, as Josh said, I'm part of the core team at DeSal World. I'm a neuroimmunologist by training. Spent years and years getting this PhD in the academic realm and was summarily disillusioned by staying in that place, in that particular space. There's a lot of misaligned incentives that exist in academia. Jumped into the more commercial space, worked in biotech for a little bit, about a year and a half or so. And again, you fall, run straight into these kind of top down, profit over purpose, which is fine from a commercial standpoint, but I think it doesn't fit or it's led to a lot of problems in science that I'm sure we're going to get to speak about. So I kind of left that space, decided not to devote or to build a career in there. I wanted to build a career in something that I felt spoke to myself, to my values and to my interests as a scientist. And so I have since been building a career in Web3 and particularly in DeSci, working with the amazing team that we have put together here at DeSci World.
0: Awesome. Thank you both for that. And thanks for joining me today. You know, d is pretty interesting. It's what been like a few years old, really, decentralized science for those that might not have heard it yet. I've talked about it in the past on previous episodes as well with other guests. And it's interesting because it's really trying to revolutionize what we've been doing for the last few decades, at least in terms of how science works. And it's really cool, Jelani, that you have that experience in academia already. So you know the struggles (laughs) that people go through. What drove you to DSI?
2: Well, I'll let Josh do since he is the founder and he has a nice origin story.
1: I want to just sort of say that it is absolutely fantastic, as you said, to have people like Jelani with that experience in academia on the team at DSI World, actually. So I'm the only one on the core team that doesn't have some PhD experience, which is fantastic for DSI World, right? My origin story is a little bit different. I have sort of been into crypto for about three years now. I was working in DeFi and DAOs before. I worked for Harvest Finance. I was on the core team for the Assange DAO. And after the Assange DAO, I felt like there was a lot of potential for social movements, social good, public goods to be done through blockchain, especially sort of like crowdfunding, crowdsourcing, anything. And during the sort of COVID pandemic, I decided something that was hot on the lips of everybody was this sort of like freedom of research and sort of thing like this. World was actually born as a sort of peer-to-peer research marketplace originally. And the thing that we sort of found was that it was very difficult to get any traction because there wasn't that many people. And the DeSci space, as you mentioned, is fairly like nascent, but it was still, even in the end of 2021, it was still very hard to find sort of concrete information about what was happening in DeSci space. So figured that actually the better contribution we could have at DeSci World to the space was to become this sort of information aggregation, community engagement onboarding platform to make it such that DeSci actually is something viable and then this peer-to-peer research funding marketplace that we're building it's just one small addition to the ecosystem, which if we do our job properly, generates traction and then we can actually see some things pass through that system.
2: Yeah. And kind of my step into is kind of an extension of the story that I just told about and spoke up before, where I wasn't happy in the industry where I was as a scientist I saw a lot of the problems in science. To kind of put a little pin in this, DSI is an extension of the open science movement. Decide itself started within the last couple of years, but I believe truly it is an extension of this whole premise of bringing science back to the commons and making science more an equitable space for all participants, whether you be a scientist or not. So I've always been interested in open science. But alongside that kind of parallel to that, I had been in the crypto space for a couple of years myself. I think most people's origin stories with crypto was you start as a degen and then you start to kind of learn more about it and understand the actual impact that it has so I've been a web3 participant it's this coincidentally serendipitously as things tend to happen, I was delving into contribution of DAOs and looking up, how come I've never seen this whole framework of Web3 with science? You would think that this kind of technology would go hand in hand. So I just was looking up Web3 science. I think I might have put that in the Google search and ran into this concept of DSI, particularly like longevity work that was being pioneered at the time. So the molecule family, the Vita DAOs and the like. And so I kind of went down that rabbit hole, tried to contribute here and there to a particular DAOs. And I'll never forget, I was in my car one day, I just parked, I got a Twitter ping, and it was Joshua who had messed, sent out a tweet saying, I'm looking to build a core team for what then would was to become DCI World." And I was like, oh, this is my end." I've been contributing to DAOs as like this contributor status, but I wanted to see what it would, might be like to help build these frameworks out from like the core team. And so I kind of jumped at it immediately, threw my hat into the ring. Josh and I, I think, had like one interview and we clicked. We had a lot of the same philosophies, despite the very different backgrounds. And you'll see this a lot in the space. We kind of converged on many points. And then I think he saw maybe a shining
0: light and we joined the team. He invited me onto the team and been working in DCI ever since. I love that story. That's so awesome. And there's so many people who were interested in crypto and blockchain world before they got into the various different roads they went down. It could have been DSide, but maybe they went into like decentralized real estate or there's applications, those applications that are really going to transform the world using blockchain technology that most people have an idea of like it's happening, but they don't understand how it's going to happen. And most of us don't, right? It's part of this experimentation phase that we're going through now, which is, I think, super exciting for all of us here. So let's get into it a little bit more in details about what DSide World is. I did take a look at the white paper. So thank you for writing that. I think it was really informative. It was interesting interesting to see like your mission is to really help aggregate the different projects that are going on. So I think that's really cool, especially in the beginning, because we need that. A lot of people are coming to the space, they don't know where to start. So if someone asked me now, I'd say, you know, just go to DCI world, you will check out some of the different projects going on. You can search through that very useful. Going back a little bit more, since you guys were into the crypto space a little bit, how did you hear about blockchain? And like really quick, did you have like a moment where you're like, oh, this is world changing. And was it more on the financial space? And quick story on that, I think is interesting for the audience to, because the people are still on their journey.
1: Sure. My story is a little bit more recent than many people will speak to in this space. I had some exposure to crypto back in 2018 when I was at university, just dealing $100 here or there to try and see what happens. And obviously lost it all at the, <laughs> at the peak of the 2018 bull run. it went down. But I had a little bit of link, which did pretty well since then, like a tiny bit. Then I moved to China. And when I was in China, I needed to send money in a much more sort of cross-border, simple way. And I was using crypto. I was there for like three years, and I used crypto somewhat, you know, to transfer to my friends and family. And so at that time, I just sort of came to a point around 2020, saw all this DeFi summer stuff happening. I missed most of that. But around the end of August, I sort of thought, let me try and sort of get involved in these communities. And I've managed to, on the first day that Harvest finance the project, which is a yield farming aggregator, DeFi 1.0, kind of an OG protocol, went into their Discord on the first like, second day that they launched and just sort of started chatting with the community. I had no idea what it was. got invited onto the mod team and turns out to be one of the coolest, greatest projects in the DeFi summer 2020 year. So that was the thing that sort of propelled me in terms of understanding the space, getting exposed to working in a DAO. Harvest is a very much a decentralized organization. It's fantastic. Then went from there to a few sort of been around, helped other projects did a lot of sort of chinese community management work and then finalized with assange dao julian assange legal battle was we we're trying to raise some money in a decentralized crowdfund raised about 55 million dollars in four days yeah crazy wow. and it was a real interesting story in itself and it's worthy of talking about but all i can say is that it was a bit of a black mark in many ways on my sort of experiences and also people who were involved in it but it really showed as i said before that as you said earlier the applications is what is going to bring people into sort of blockchain and the fact that social good can be an application was what really drove me to this space.
0: I love that. So you lived in China. So you speak Mandarin? You speak Yes, I do
1: speak Mandarin, yeah.
0: Awesome. And I think that's great what you did with the Assange Dao. I mean, there's so many examples of this. We have Ross Albright, you have Julian Assange, others that have sort of become like sacrificial lambs in a way to many of these movements. And it's unfortunate. And I wish that people can view the larger picture of what's going on and why these people do these things. I'm not going to suggest anything i'm not going to say it was the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do but i think if we look in the future and we look back in history it's going to be seen as something that helped humanity and didn't harm humanity do you
1: mean assange DAO or the whole julian assange leaking the documents
0: i think julian assange leaking the documents yeah yeah
1: so obviously what he's being tried for is not necessarily just there's so many um sort of like granular details to this rather well, other than just like what he did and how they've reacted the experience with Assange now was also very interesting. It was, it's a whole other conversation for another time.
0: Right now, that's fair. We can move on.
2: So, my story starts back. Interestingly enough, I fall into the crowd of individuals who were first introduced to Bitcoin back in 2018, 2008, 2009. Oh. And so, I'm part of that cohort of individuals who is like, you just listened and <laughs> right. taken the yeah. plunge, right? But at that time, everything was so oh, okay. What's this like? I had no idea what it was. I remember I had a friend who was mining it and he was like, come look. And I was like, all right, that's cool. I just kind of never got into it. I think I might have set up a mining thing at some point, but I don't know what happened to that. But anyways, in 2009, maybe we talked about it. We had that little stint and then didn't touch crypto until 2017, 2018 is when I started to start looking back into it. So at this point, I was somewhere near the end of my mid to near the end of my PhD. And I was like, as a grad, and this that kind of speaks to the, some of the issues in, in, the, in uh, traditional finance, but also the academic and science realm, right? We're not paid much as PhD oh, candidates man. and PhD students and postdocs. And so I was looking in time, trying to find ways to kind of grow wealth while still working in this like minimum income perspective. And that kind of turned my eye to this whole crypto space again. So I started to dibble and dabble. I think there's a training curve. There's like a training path that most people follow when it comes to crypto. So it's you start dealing with the actual assets like Litecoin, XRP, Bitcoin, Ethereum, whatever. And then you graduate to realize that beyond just speculative trading and holding the actual asset, there's this thing that has been built on top of that. And that was to become DeFi. And so that was kind of my trajectory. So I started collecting and holding and being a hodler and just waiting for things. It taught me exponentially about financial like trading and economics. And I think I learned more trying to understand the crypto space in terms of finance Knowledge set than I had before assets, all this kind of thing, bonds, whatever. Then I got into DeFi and then that just kind of spun me down this rabbit hole of applications. And one of my best friends, business partner of mine actually is a real estate agent. And so starting to look at, okay, like what would be the real estate applications, right? With NFTs, tokenization of deeds and all this kind of stuff. So that was really what thrust me into the crypto blockchain space. And then starting to realize this whole notion of Web3, where it's about ownership and how do we build not a system that necessarily replaces the old system, but one that exists parallel to it. And we're going to touch upon this, I think, as we talk about dsi But in my mind, how I always side was that, it's never going to be, we're, nobody's going to replace this traditional system. What we're creating and what Web3 is creating is a parallel system where people can opt in and out, of what they need based off of what better suits them. There's a lot of things in the traditional Web2 space that are optimal. They work great, they're usable, and that's fine. And just like there are a lot of things in the Web3 space that are not quite there yet, they're not made to scale, they're not as optimized. And so you can pick and choose. And I think this is where we're going to live in for a bit. And I think that's perfectly fine because what we internally like to talk about is that not everybody in this Web2 space is malicious. They're working within a paradigm and an infrastructure and a framework that exists, and they have no choice but to work with it. When these other frameworks come up, these parallel frameworks, we'll see who is truly malicious and who decides to opt in and build
1: something that is beneficial for the common good. And that's what we'll yep. be able to delegate. I think DeFi is like more than DeFi, one of those sort of ecosystems where people from the traditional sectors of traditional science rather than traditional finance are more likely to make that move because it's far more powerful and efficient. And it's just the more effective way to do science in many respects. Whereas in decentralized finance, I would argue pretty heavily that decentralized finance is better for all around its far better allocation of capital. The cost of capital is far lower, but there's a lot more holding people back. But I think de and the scientists in general are much more likely to make that jump once the sort of tech is ready on this side.
0: Yeah, there's a bit of a little less risk on the D side of things compared to DeFi,
1: well i mean some people might say the proliferation of any kind of data that shouldn't be proliferated is more of a risk but it's maybe less of a risk to the system that it's trying to sort of replace maybe
0: yeah that's fair and i like what you said jelani that the fact that you know web 2 is not just going to simply go away it's going to be this combination of web 2 and web 3 people calling web 5 i
2: call you web 2.5, 2.5. I 2.5. I like 5. What yeah, that. yeah so we call it web,
0: web 2.5. 2.5 that's fair too let's talk about some of the problems in science things like research funding patent ownership, royalty distributions, and other things like that you think are maybe most important for people to want to switch to a different system? Like what are the problems in science that are most apparent to people that are forcing them to look a different way?
1: so i think the whole point in DeSci is that there's just a lot of basically every single aspect of science and research and academia can be replaced or improved in some way in dc not necessarily just through blockchain technology but the decentralized organizations of people the decentralized funding sources this sort of thing broadly it does kind of divide itself into some pretty solid categories of like incentives funding data storage and handling and then sort of organization and within each of these sections you've got for example an incentive. you've got yeah how does publishing sort of incentivize people how do scientists get paid for submitting data etc each one of these has more granular points but So I think when you say which one is going to be the most important or sort of the most effective. I think it really just depends on what your passion and interest is or what it is that you come into contact as a researcher with the most, because I think most things will be improved quite massively. For me, I think the decentralized funding sources is basically already built because DeFi essentially exists as it is, and DeFi is just utilizing that. And I also think the publishing and the incentives on publishing in terms of researchers getting kickback for the amount of citations and also just like much more transparent publishing procedures, I think that's going to be the thing that I think is going to have the biggest impact. But Jelani, I'm sure you have some other thoughts.
2: No, I agree with you. I think the categories that Josh kind of breaks it down are the ones that have formulated themselves more like succinctly. Right now, they're the ones that have the most foundation. So it's funding, peer review, data storage, and provenance, making sure that you know where the data comes from. And all of these are problems that exist throughout the scientific framework. So, for example, funding, right? People don't go into science to make a lot of money, for the most part, right? The amount of individuals who do make a lot of money is very, very few. The vast majority of scientists are not these individuals. People go into science because they love science, and they love answering and kind of prodding and trying to understand the laws that govern the universe around us. But that doesn't mean that there shouldn't be a system wherein these people can be directly compensated for the efforts that go in. A good example of this is that right now in the current framework, if you're a scientist and you want to get funding, this either comes from private sources like VCs, companies, and all this kind of stuff, or from government bodies. So the NIH, the wherever government body that has a treasury for scientific funding in your region. And what that means is that you're beholden to political agendas and private individual agendas, right? Corporate agendas, which are often tied into political agendas. And so that means that sometimes, in some cases, there is science that is worth funding. There is science that is of substance that you would argue, If a third party were to come in here and say, yeah, we should fund that, that doesn't get funded because it doesn't align with the agenda of individuals at the top. So that's one financial issue. And the kind of way that these decentralized crowdsourcing frameworks help with that, it takes the monopoly away. So you can still get funding from those agencies and these institutions, but you can also get funding from individuals who are just vested or have an interest in your project. So it just kind of opens up the playing field to allow you to get different sources. So you're not beholden to any one person's agenda. Another struggle in the scientific realm that is also addressed by that is that we have this phenomenon called the valley of death. So the valley of death is this transition point between basic academic research and when that particular research can needs to go into either clinical trial or further down the pipeline to become commercial, to be defined as a therapeutic for individuals. There's this piece of time between basic and applicable science, when applied science, where projects tend to drop off or not get funded. And this is why they're called, it's called the valley of death. Now, the reason for this, and it, it exists for a reason, it's not just malicious intent. Most science fails. Science is literally how I envision science as a scientist. Is Imagine you're in a dark room, and every time you put try to put a step a foot down, you don't know if there's a platform there or not. You can only see the steps behind you, how you got there, but you don't know where your next step is going to be. And so in a room like that, and these are all pitfalls, it's all empty space chances are you're going to fall, right? And that's what happens in science. Science is rife with failure. And so obviously people are investment and people who invest in in science are, they want to return on their investment. So they're very risk averse. To a certain extent, you can convince them to be risk on, but you have to have a significant, like almost inordinate amount of substantial data to do that. Now, that doesn't mean that some of this other science is not there or can't get there or shouldn't have some opportunity to get there. But when it's stuck in the hands of these large entities that have to be mindful of their investors, the people who they represent, all that kind of stuff. They're very risk averse. So that's what gives rise to this valid death because they're not willing to fund a certain amount of research because it's too risk on. When you have this open marketplace or this open crowdsourcing, you kind of mitigate that because individuals like you or myself, say, for example, I'm somebody who suffers from a rare disease and I see value in potentially funding or this proposed scientific endeavor might suit me and I'm willing to kind of put the chance on. Why shouldn't I be able to invest directly in that scientific research? It could yield nothing, but it should be my prerogative to do so. But now you can't do that. In the current realm outside of the DeFi space and the crypto space, you couldn't do that. Well, we're the infrastructure that is being built from the financial perspective is allowing for that to happen. So now as a participant who is directly affected, you can now. Be a part of that system. You can invest in the science that you think might be worthwhile to yourself. Even if you're not a patient group, you can just invest in science that you might think is cool. It just opens it up. So that's one of the financial perspective, the financial angle, I think, is what's going to revolutionize or bring on the adoption because it's easier for people to understand who are not scientists. The peer reviewing, the data storage, all that kind of stuff is very selective to the scientists. So that's more of how can you onboard as many scientists as possible? But I don't think that's going to push adoption of d per se. It's not what's going to lead it. I think it may be important after the fact.
0: That was very interesting. I think, first of all, thanks for sharing that. And I'm going to play a little bit of devil's advocate here because I do believe what you're saying. And I think that is going to be the future. But there's others who are thinking that, okay, so now you're going to allow the crowd to fund research that's very new. This could become an issue because these people don't have the experience, maybe, to be investing in brand new research. So they're basically throwing their money at nothing, maybe. When you talk to venture capitalists and other investors, they have experience and they are looking at de risked. Applications or de risk projects. So they're making smart, risky choices. Do you think that it's going to be a problematic thing for these neophytes, science neophytes, investing into projects that they're not really 100% sure about? And yeah, what's your take there?
2: I'm sure I'm going to say something different than Josh, not opposed to Josh, but I think Josh is going to come to a different point. But the question that I always ask about that is that people are very up and up on a lot of things that exist in the world, right? Like the war is going on social media what celebrity is doing xyz why aren't people more scientifically literate why is it that similar to the financial because you can bring this kind of argument in terms of the financial space financial literacy is a very important thing if you think about it right people should be aware of all the financial opportunities and avenues and vehicles that they have open to themselves just like hedge funds do in my opinion as a scientist and i'm obviously back i'm obviously biased I think that the general population should have a much higher level of scientific literacy and science should be open such that if you do have a question and if you are interested in learning about a particular topic, you should have the ability to easily gain access to this and to also have open debates so that you can reaffirm your knowledge or you can be iterated on and changed. So I think what you're talking about is, as a fact, a very big problem, but I think there's a bigger problem that sits underneath that DCI is also looking to change. So this is the bringing it back to the comments. Now, if we're going to just put that little piece aside, yes, obviously, if you're making it such that you're basically creating DGEN scientific investors, well, that's not how the framework works in the d space. And I know we're going to transition to this, but in d much like in DeFi, we have DAOs, right? And there are other entities that exist that are not, don't follow the traditional DAO infrastructure, but they're still there. And in these structures, what you have is you have a validation layer or a filtering layer. Where if you go into a say, for example, you go into VitaDao, which, specif- which works on longevity, they have a council of specialists, people who are scientists like myself, PhDs of a variety of disciplines. And so when a proposal comes through, let's say a scientist wants to get their research funded, well, that goes through that validation layer first before it then gets released to the rest of the general public or the general participants, contributors of that doubt. Now, you might argue that is kind of taking the issue of centralization or not being fully open and kind of reintroducing that inside the Web3 space. And to that, I argue that in certain cases, that's going to have to be like, because not everybody has, like, if I'm a neuroimmunologist by training. Even if you're another PhD person, you have work on virology, we don't have the same background. There's certain concepts of systems that I understand that you don't understand. And so when an immunology project comes in and a strictly virology project comes in, your weight of your knowledge as it validates that project should be different than mine. And that should be accounted for in the doubt. That's just so that the proper information gets across. How that works is that there is always, or at least in this current iteration, there is a filtering layer that exists. So it's not that all this information is going to be dumped and it's kind of like, oh, let's take a dart and, oh, I like this word, so I'm going to fund it. That may still happen, but there are shepherds. There are individuals who come and try to explain and clarify and make sure that the science that is being proposed is as sound as they can validate it. And what becomes important here is this is why we need more people in the DSI space. And it's kind of our mission statement and why we believe what we're doing is so important is because the more specialists, the more individuals you have in the space, the more valid that layer becomes, the less volatility. So it's kind of like a liquidity problem. The more scientists you have, the more liquidity you have in the framework. And that means you'll have less volatility of like either immoral, unethical, non-sound science eking its way through to people who will then just fund it because they don't know better.
0: Right. So it sounds like really quick, and I'll let Joshua go next. It's sort of like we have these scientist guardians in a way protecting the average consumer. And I think that's a self-regulating mechanism right there is what you have. So these DAOs are self-regulating mechanisms. I hope it continues to be very high consciousness and able to like do this really well, because I'm sure just like any other technology, there's going to be people that take advantage of this. I'm just being a realist here. They're just going nope, to try sure. to create projects and get approved to the next stage to get that funding. So I think as long as the industry is aware of it and taking steps to mitigate that this problem i think it's good because we don't really want to have the government tell us how to regulate science necessarily if the scientists themselves highly knowledgeable people really smart intellectual people right if these people can maintain the self-regulation of the industry and of these DAOs, that's awesome and i hope that happens and it's something that i think dc world has some sort of stake in that too to like raise that consciousness of the community
1: so he said like when you said about the raising the consciousness of the space i think that's kind of like generally what i would say for this whole thing is raising the consciousness to sort of taking responsibility for your own investments taking responsibility for the own research that you're doing in the space if for example you're sort of putting up a bounty for a hundred thousand dollars for something that is inevitably a scam right it's on the people who are putting their money into this to sort of understand this and this sort of holding your hand but it's kind of tough right you have like ftx so many well connected well, right? even as you said earlier about how vcs have a much insider edge and what of course they do but even vcs are not doing their due diligence right over the past sort of six months we've seen all kinds of massive multi-billion dollar vc firms even smaller ones you know continuously even every day now still blowing up because they didn't do their due diligence they just relied on the information of someone above so even for example in the example of VitaDAO with this filtering mechanic whilst it offers a fantastic filtering mechanic i would still say to anyone who's putting their money towards the vote that might go towards funding should be doing their own due diligence on that yeah. and i think that's when you say raising the consciousness of the space i think that's going to be something that the space does itself it is its own self-regulating mechanic in a sense that back in 2020 DeFi summer even 2021 the amount of rug pulls that we went through was like three four five a week only a couple hundred thousand dollars here and there but massive and people wisened up pretty quickly And into 2021, it was the people who hadn't been there the last year. These were the ones that are getting scammed again. So the industry itself, DSI in particular, will probably regulate itself. In terms of moving forward and giving that sort of confidence to scientists and researchers so that they can conduct these studies and feel that people are funding the right projects, there will almost certainly be a verification layer, some kind of academic credentialing layer, some kind of identity layer that will probably be across the whole of crypto, but especially DCI for the confidence for the institutions, confidence for the researchers, this sort of thing. So if you're funding research and they don't require any academic credentialing, then you can possibly be a bit more sort of questioning as to why. But at least they have the option to do that, right? At least someone has the option to say, "I don't care who funds it; I need the money for this." And like, at least they can, right? So this is the thing, right? The more you make the system open, the obviously the more you let
2: options for some bad things coming through. It's kind of you can't really get away with that. It's almost like a law of the universe. But the idea is the hope there is that there are enough educated individuals and people of good mindset and maybe good ethics. To kind of help shepherd this along. And so, for example, if somebody who wants to put up, wants to spin up a kind of low ethical DAO to fund these low ethical science, they're gonna get a crowd to do that. That's gonna happen. The hope is that in the same way that that can happen, some people can spin up a counter DAO, for example, to fund research to kind of mitigate that kind of stuff. So you're making it more of an open playing field. And the other thing that I wanted to add on top of Joshua's comment is that I keep referencing scientists. And people might believe that that means individuals like myself who have gone through this formal education process. In my mind, everybody's a scientist. Everybody puts out hypotheses, tests things. And so as Joshua makes reference to these credential systems, these decentralized credential systems... What people are trying to build in decide, and I guess we can focus a little bit more on that in the future, is this meritocracy-based credential system where, say, for example, you're somebody who knows how to run a flow cytometer. People may not know what that is. Or a QPCR machine, right? You're proficient at QPCR because you've come in, you have this curiosity. Or you're a plant specialist, a botanist, whatever it is. You have that capacity to evaluate systems based off of your knowledge base. Well, you, are now validate. you can now become a validator to kind of be in that validation layer. You don't have to have this formal PhD plaque for that. And I think that speaks to the other layer of openness that it allows. So individuals, again, this is not only formally trained scientists that can do this. It's people who have the knowledge, skill set, and can display it and prove it. They will also be a part of it. So this is another layer of opening it up more
0: Awesome. I just want to clarify a few things for people that are listening. So you mentioned two devices that scientists use heavily. So one is a flow cytometry. And just correct me if I'm wrong, I have seen people use a flow cytometer, and I've been involved with that. And also QPCR, I've run tests using QPCR myself. So really quick, flow cytometry sort of is able to take a sample and you could tag certain cells using antibodies, and then you can separate the cells into different tubes, actually. So it's very, very sensitive sort of piece of equipment where you can isolate cells Second thing, QPCR is quantitative polymerase chain reaction. So it's basically used to replicate a segment of DNA and to see if it's there or not in your sample. What I was thinking about those things when you were saying is what you mentioned earlier was part of this blockchain thing is the ability to have data provenance. So wouldn't it be cool is like the second in real time while you're running your QPCR machine, that data is not just locally on the machine, but it's actually being getting sent into a system that's being recorded immutably in a way. And that is like a future vision. It's not happening right now. And I don't think there's an appetite for that right now, but the idea of that is so possible in like five, 10 years.
2: So there's absolutely an appetite for that right now. People are actively engaging in this conversation for it. That is the concept of applying metadata. So metadata is data that surrounds the actual data that you're looking to get, right? So if I'm looking for a particular cell and The data that comes with that is, okay, what day did I do it? What time did I do it? What was the temperature? What was all the superficial stuff that kind of surrounds that? That's what we call metadata. And it's taken a long time for people to consciously bring this up to the forefront. But that metadata is very important because we see it even in machines. If you run a flow cytometer on one day and you run it on another day, it has internal variance or the results can be different depending on the day. And this is because of meta factors. It could have been an earthquake, the building might have shaked, things might have happened. Was it clean properly? Right. So there's calibrations that always have to happen because of these external forces that yield this. Now, that's important when it comes to an experiment because it can shift the result of an experiment that can bring you down a whole different hallway that may be good and may be bad. And so being able to record that is very important. As of right now, that is done manually. It's not even really done that much, but it's done manually for people who are very much aware of it. The future that you just talked about, Ray, is where we have these blockchain integrated devices, whereby if I run a QPCR machine, and when you put in a QPCR, when you run a QPCR machine, you put in all the information, the date, the time, whatever, if that's bound to the blockchain or to some distributed ledger technology that gets imprinted onto the chain, right? And that's important. Now, there are people actively working on that in this space. There are participants who are a little bit, that is definitely down the line, but it's things that people are definitely working on and
0: thinking about. Interesting. Do you have any company names or organizations by any chance off the top of your head?
2: I love all DSI projects, but one of the few that I think is, is most intriguing to me, and this speaks to me as a scientist, this is the example of like what the scientists might find exciting and what the general population might find exciting. DSI Labs is a fantastic organization that is working on a Web3 primitive, so a fundamental infrastructure that is Web3 native, that will supersede or come beyond the PDF. So PDFs are the general unit of knowledge that most people use. It's like the premium unit of knowledge, right? You can do Word doc, you can have a PDF, and it's much more formal. They're creating something called design nodes, which essentially allows you, and I highly suggest everybody go look this up, what to their information docs. What it allows you to do is put in all this metadata to your publication. So if I want to publish a piece of paper, if I want to publish an article, in traditional systems, I write out the manuscript, I slap in some figures, put in the reference list, and off it goes. I may be able to provide a link to like my code base, my sequencing data set, and all that kind of stuff, but that's not in the PDF itself, and people have to go through hoops to get to it. What d Side Nodes is doing is it allows you to inherently, natively put all that information into one unit of knowledge so if I generate a graph off of a code base or if I generate a graph off of whatever data now that data that hash to that data is in that figure and if it's a code that code is there right alongside the paper if I want to see where all this comes from and how they came to it I can look at the code I can run it to see if I get back the same graph and I can see everything that went into that and that's a whole new level that's a whole new way of looking at data now I'm not a specialist in these thingss I'm a big fan but I Definitely highly suggest you have people get in contact with them. But another thing that is cool with that is that let's say I go to a conference and I make a conversation, I have speaking engagement on that paper that kind of makes it more understandable to people who may not be proficient in the language that I'm using, the highly technical language that I'm using in that article. Well, I can put that video in that D sign notes. And so anytime anybody pulls it up, well, they can kind of have something that is along it, that comes along it, a companion to it that can help maybe explain it better for general lay people. So there's all these different iterations that are coming. And DSi knows that particularly something that I think scientists are going to be very excited about. I was very excited about it myself. And the implications that can be built off that are, just to answer your question, that's the kind of primitive that can be used to put that metadata into. And so they're right now working on the publishing aspect of it. But once that's done and that's soon to be done, then I know they're going to start looking at these blockchain integrated metadata sources that could.
0: That's really interesting. I actually did see Desai Labs, somebody from the organization present, I guess earlier this year, Desai Boston at a conference. So it was pretty impressive. They had a demo and they kind of showed exactly what could be done. So thanks for sharing that. Let's talk a little bit more about Desai World for the audience to kind of understand what specifically people can do there now. Like what are some of the features that you guys have on the website now?
1: Yeah, sure. The thing about DSide World is that it's a whole ecosystem that we're building, and it is still very early in its life cycle. So it's good that you asked the question what can they do now? Because that is two separate questions, right? What can they do in DCI World and now? So for the moment, we have our website, which you can go to is dside.world. We have a Web3 native app on there. So our main two products right now are our, our information dashboard, so our dCI dashboard. It's essentially like an information aggregation platform where each project that's in DSi can list itself or we list it for them. And they have a page on our dashboard in which they can see clickable links, base descriptions, interact with their token, recent governments for government proposals, this kind of thing. So, the dashboard is free to use and it's free to submit a project. And we've currently got 42 projects on there. It's grown by maybe 25 in the last month and a half, which is just, you know, considering it's. We've been around for about six, seven months with this platform. It's kind of it's doing the old exponential upwards. So if it continues at this rate, I think in six months' time we might have two, three, four hundred projects sort of listed in some respect, right? So I'm very excited for the sort of the next year of DeSai. Apart from that, we have our NFT Launchpad, which is currently live right now. So I don't know when this episode will come out, but I believe there will still be Antidote DAO's Genesis Collection mint being hosted through our NFT Launchpad. This is a, specifically for DeSai projects who want to launch an NFT for whatever reason, be it startup funding, be it governance for their Sort of governance membership for their DAO, anything like this. And we basically help them to launch it. We do all the utilities, we do the sort of smart contract itself, we host them in and we do sort of data handling, data storage, this sort of thing. It's a no fee system as well. So products can come without any experience or funding and we can do it for them and we recover some portions of costs on the other side for the DAO. Those are our two main products right now. Apart from that, Jelani, myself, the rest of the core team, we are the other side of the product that exists right now, which is basically our community doing things like podcasts, trying to educate people and boots on the ground events. I was myself at a university blockchain event last night. So yeah, in terms of current products, those two mainly and our discord and community, which has job boards, all kinds of other information that we can discuss and general just community engagement at this point. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Talk in. A little bit about the future ones if you're interested.
0: Yeah, sure. Let's go for it.
1: Yeah, so the cool thing about what DCI World is doing is that because it's completely in application agnostic industry, we're basically trying to build whatever the ecosystem needs the most. And right now we're working on some killer sort of apps for cross collaboration between projects, sort of like almost like a knowledge graph. This would be perfect for projects looking to sort of deepen their ties in the ecosystem or just people to understand how the ecosystem is is sort of connected. The whole point of what we're trying to do is make this visually exciting, very sort of interesting to sort of dive into. So the knowledge graph, the sort of connections of projects that we're building is a massive thing. And of course, I mentioned earlier, the peer-to-peer research funding marketplace. This is built in an MVP form, but we'll go live with it sort of in the new year in a guarded launch fashion. This will include some integrations with academic identity. For example, you can check out Holland. Also, we're going to integrate some kind of like cross-collaboration with these sort of almost like a Google whiteboard where you can cross-collaborate with other people on different desktops. But it's much more specific for research, including sort of like some kind of like machine learning in which you can scan papers, do peer reviews and all this sort of thing. This is all going to be implemented into the peer-to-peer research funding place, marketplace itself. And there's a few other sort of peer-to-peer interaction mechanics, which we're building, which very exciting, maybe sort of two quarters away, lots of things going on. And I mean, that's just the products which are being built. And of course, our community facing sort of initiatives is going to be a huge part of this. So we're going to be doing much more events. We're hosting a hackathon in January for the Desire London hackathon. We're going to be at university meetups for However, long it takes for us to sort of onboard as many people as possible. And we're also doing on these sort of these global DSI initiatives with globally distributed DSI communities, for example, DSI Africa, DSI Latam, DSI Brazil, etc. We're sort of trying to collate these groups and empower this sort of globally distributed DSI community space and do sort of events to aggregate that information and incentivize people and all kinds of good stuff.
0: I love that. And I love how many desai cities there are now there are so many different communities developing right. the desai london event is actually i think january 15th for anyone who's in that it's, area i highly recommend going i think it's a free the, event too. can i just quickly
1: really plug the uh, the hackathon quickly to anyone listening Please. so sure. if you're listening on the 12th and 13th of january is the official desci london hackathon it's hosted by phase three and desai world we are sponsoring a general prize but there are some specific prize tracks as well from example molecule dow and from crunch dow if you were to name just to begin so if you're interested in hacking, it's about 45, 50 people limit. Please check out the London website.
0: Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. So I did want to get, this is going to be a little technical, I think, but I'm curious about how the dside world web three on a technical level, how it was architectured or what's the infrastructure of it? Like what blockchain protocol are you using? How are wallets managed and any storage data storage layers that you can provide more info about? And understandably, this might change in the future as well, but how does it work now? Just so people, the audience listening in might get a sense of how someone can actually build a Desai or a Web3 community. You know what I mean? Everyone does it a little differently. So what are the pros and cons, et cetera?
1: It's a great point. So, as you said, things are obviously subject to change. The DeSci World ecosystem project is not currently a DAO. It is sort of like a DAO in name only. The idea is to move towards a DAO sometime in the next sort of three to six months. We'll have a fully operational DAO. But for the moment, the organization is just sort of operating like a DAO in the sense that we sort of operate using crypto. That's kind of the tech stack we use for organization. The Web3 integration is specifically you can connect your MetaMask to our website and use this to mint NFTs through our platform. Currently, we're supporting only ETH mainnet. We also have our own NFT, which we launched when we first started sometime back in November last year. And this was also on Ethereum mainnet. This has a few integrations to be revealed. So that's all ETH mainnet. The peer-to-peer research funding marketplace prototype that we built was on Polygon but we're probably going to have it on ETH mainnet again for security reasons, Ethereum being the most decentralized and secure. We have IPFS integrated into the metadata store for our NFTs that we use. So when the NFTs are created, we tend to store all of the metadata on IPFS. We have a number of other things stored on IPFS. So currently, those are the sort of main ones that we have implemented. As we become a DAO, of course, we have a lot of interesting mechanics at play there. We are actually currently going through a round, which we're sort of halfway through, and that round will eventually lead to the launch of a token. And as I've mentioned, I've been involved in a number of DAOs and DeFi projects over the past few years. And so this is something that I have a lot of experience with. And I think it's going to be a very, you know, in the token economic models that fly around at the moment, it's very interesting just what possibilities there are. And I've seen so many different types, some conservative, some incredibly sort of complex. And I think we're going to strike a really interesting balance with our Web3 integration here, our crypto integration, in the sense that token economic models are very simple for what we're doing. And I think
0: it's going to be very interesting. That's good. You're taking what you've learned to, and applying it to this space. To make yeah,
1: it. the thing is, like, I've seen so many different complex models, and at the end of it, it's like, actually, with all these different bells and whistles, This at the end of it, the simplicity seems to be the best way for these token In our case, in particular, for some other projects, the, the utility is different.
2: Yeah, so the tokenomics will depend on what you're actually looking to do. What I want to kind of layer on top of what Josh is saying, to bring it all the way back, as Josh stipulated. Everything that we're building in Road is to help support the community. So we are primarily a community-facing organization. We want to help individuals who are interested in getting into DeSci kind of help orient themselves and move within the space. And we also want to help projects and protocols and entities in the space know more about each other and facilitate collaborations, either through us or amongst themselves. Now, when it relates to our NFT launchpad and the kind of services and platforms that we're building... We are, as Josh said, built on ETH mainnet. But if you want to launch a protocol, an NFT project, a DSide specific NFT project on Polygon or any of the other chains, we're also able to do that for, for people. So just because we operate on this layer, many of the DSide projects, so not all DSide projects operate on ETH, many are on Polygon, some are on Arbitrum, AVAX, across the thing. We interact, we integrate with them wholeheartedly. So we may be on one layer, but we're multi-chain in the sense of what we can do and how we will support the space.
1: We're still trying to break into the Cardano Mm d ecosystem, which is, by the way, massive and thriving and has been going on for years and years. The scientific or academic community on Cardano is massive, didn't actually know it was d This is a funny little thing that happened, right? You know, my responsibilities
2: and some of our Josh and I kind of do not PR, but we're the outreach individuals in the DSi world. So I get to talk with a lot of great projects kind of coming up. And there are a lot of projects who have existed since 2015, like for a long, long time, and they are not aware of the space of the DSi space. I actually had a really funny conversation with a group that had started back in 2013. And the person who was the leader of that group had the most abysmal view of Desai I have ever heard. I have never heard this per- somebody talk about Desai in this way. And to them, Desai is much like DeFi. It's full of scams. It's full of things. And this is before my time. So I think there was a period in time, maybe back in the five years I ago, see. where people I spun see. up the concept of Desai and were just using it to rough. And I actually ran into one of those projects myself recently. But apparently that was like the initiation point of the concept of DESAI. And this person was completely jaded about it. And so he was like, I took your meeting, but I don't really care. And I was like, okay, well, let's just sit down and talk about it. And let me present you some of like what DESAI has become in the last year or so and how different it is. And by the end of that half an hour conversation, this person was much more amenable to like, okay, it seems like there's a lot more substance in this space.
0: When I was reading your white paper, I saw some information about, using snapshot for voting and gnosis safe for multi-sig is that actually the case or is that the plan
1: the sort of plan with the Desai token launch, as I just mentioned to you previously, this is going to include an entirely separate governance procedure. This is an entirely separate thing. It's kind of decided, but it's to be confirmed. So currently the way that you can sort of interact with the Desai World protocol using snapshot governance currently is if you hold one of our microbes NFTs, which is Desai World's first sort of product that it released back in November last year, there is a governance protocol set up such that if you hold a microbes, you can vote on governance proposals, but nothing has been put through that is of any meaning. It was mostly just test sort of tools, which a few people voted on but that is actually something that exists right now and we do have a multi-sig and the multi-sig holds some funding from proceeds of microbes nft and a few other things we got an ens airdrop for dieselworld.eth back in the day so we hold some assets there but it's not really being used right now but the multi-sig is the way that the entire of the pre-seed is going to be sort of handled and the post the launch itself of course everything will be done to a very high dow standard because i've been in quite a lot of them and again i'm very very excited to make this really this whole thing actually happen yeah
0: Awesome, I appreciate that. Yeah, so just kind of like have a few more questions and then I want to ask you guys some like just more personal, hot, quick questions. So in terms of like users of the platform, have you received any feedback you want to share, any kind of like beta testers or?
1: Yeah, I'll talk in with a quick one and Johnny, maybe you might have something a bit more sort of focused on the actual like scientific value of it. From my perspective, the thing I wanted Decyl World to be more than anything was just like really interesting to come and be a part of, right? And I thought the aesthetic value of the project. From the very beginning, aesthetic value was something that we prized as one of the highest, for me personally anyways, one of the highest sort of importances of the project is because we're trying to display information and it's got to be interesting to look at. And I thought the design of the DCI World website was something that was sort of indicative of our goals, which was to be sort of different or sort of show that science can be done differently in this new paradigm of DCI. So we chose some kind of like some high energy colors and things like this. For me, the biggest feedback one of the most interesting feedback that i've received is just the difference in people's views on it and it is very polarizing this sort of like the interesting design mechanic for an information aggregation dashboard some people within our core team love it some people hate it and i get all kinds of really interesting comments some people who just think it's the coolest thing our design our entire aesthetic is something that really spoke to them it's what brought them to the project it's what made them interested in the design space like wow look at these science-based project with this great design and other people thought said to me, "What are you thinking? You know, <laughs> having a design like this on a on a website to do with academia—that's something really interesting." And in our V2 release, as we're doing our round, we're going to be sort of re-releasing some very interesting new. Our V2 release will solve that issue, but yeah,
2: interesting. From like a technical standpoint, like Josh mentioned, the two major products that we have are the dside dashboard, which is a free to use dashboard, and then we have the NFT launch. My feedback from both have been positive throughout the space. People like the dashboard because, again, it's very simplistic solving of the purpose of being able to orient yourself in the side space. And we make it aesthetically digestible, so it's not just like a table. You have nice little title cards. It's aestheticized. It's colorized based off of the logos of the different projects. So it speaks to the aesthetic appeal, the eye-catching marketing appeal, but it also contains the poignant data that needs to get across for individuals who want to learn about the project, at least that's the response that I've gotten. Similarly for the NFT launchpad, I've heard all good results. I mean, I don't know if somebody's necessarily going to come to me specifically because I am part of the team and say, "No, nah, it sucks. But I have not gotten that yet. Most people have been very bullish on the prospect of it. So as Josh mentioned, it's a utility that people can, whatever your purpose is for launching your scientific-based NFT, whether it be for funding, for aesthetics, for community engagement, what have you, that's the platform that we're offering. We can help you with all of that. And I think that not only is that important for the projects themselves who may want to launch some token-gated aspect, it actually is good for the scientists and for the regular individual who may just want to fund certain things, right? The funding doesn't have to be for a scientist. A uh, regular person, a PhD student, a postdoc, one may want to launch an NFT to help supplement their stipend, their income, give them a better opportunity to focus more on the lab instead of having necessarily a second or third job to kind of keep them afloat, depending where they're located in the world. And so that's what that is for. And the prospect of that, the idea of that, a lot of people have shown a lot of very positive commentary for that.
1: I for just sure. want to also add what, Jelani just mentioned there that whole process of sort of someone coming to us with a project and we offer this unique place for them to launch it. It does also have this other side of benefit, as Jelani mentioned, for the user wants to interact with purchasing some kind of D site NFT in the sense that we have that filtering mechanic inbuilt to our core team that that Jelani mentioned earlier with VitaDAO and it's sort of funding filtering for proposals for funding. People can come to our platform and trust that whichever Desai project is launching through our platform comes from a good place. That comes from a place with a team and some actual sort of vision and some real sort of experience and and engagement with the space. That's also an interesting thing for us is to, if you're interested in Desai and you're interested in NFTs, you could come to the Desai World NFT sort of gallery and see some high quality projects which you could trust, which is another sort of aspect.
0: Do you think that Desai World will ever become sort of like... A guardian or a gatekeeper in terms of like maybe you'll flag one of your listed DAOs as potentially high risk, just be aware. Or is that yeah. not your responsibility?
1: This is such an interesting question because we've been talking about this so much internally for a long time, right? about how do we filter? Do we filter, right? Is it our responsibility to filter? We're actually trying something really interesting at the moment. We're, we're trialing it with a few sort of trusted projects where, for example, on the dashboard, when you when you apply for the dashboard, your application form gets put into a GitHub page and you actually have ownership as the project owner of that GitHub page. And you can edit your page, the content on your page and submit it as a pull request and it live updates on the website. So this is actually something that's kind of like decentralizing the ownership and thus the responsibility, which is really something quite unique. In terms of the NFT uh, situation, it's not quite the same, but this is sort of us showing how we are sort of decentralizing the ownership of it.
2: Right. So in my opinion, to answer that question, I don't like the word gatekeepers. I think it has mm-hmm. some bad connotation. In terms of Guardian, yes. I mean, right now, because we're not a DAO, it's the seven of us who are doing it. There's not much to gatekeep per se. Everybody who we've run into, all 42 projects on our list, at least as of right now, are all teams of substance that are purpose-driven. And I think that's kind of what delim- that one of the aspects that delineates between DeFi and DeSci. DeSci inherently is purpose-driven. It's always to accomplish a task. And then the tokenomics and all the fluffy stuff kind of happens afterwards. But I do envision the DAO, as the platform becomes fully decentralized as the DAO, I do think that it will take on some of that aspect of guardianship because it'll be a hub where people can interact with each other and analyze and kind of take a step back and look at the totality of the space. And so if you see like all these projects interacting in one way, and this one is kind of off suggesting this kind of stuff or this kind of event, you can compare and contrast what is going on across these different communities. And I think that's very important. And some of that is what's missing in the DeFi. So you have things like DeFi Llama, which give you like the metric breakdown. But We're also trying to layer on this culture aspect. And I think culture is a very under-discussed topic in DeFi. And we're trying to come in with this as a social hub, as an interaction hub yeah. to kind of have that. Now, the one little stipulation that I want to make is that I don't like dealing with ultimates. Things may still get through. We will try to help make it that everything is of substance, but an NFT project can go rogue, even if it comes from us. The one quote-unquote guarantee that they can have is that, for the most part, projects who come through us that list to us are NFTs. We are involved in the writing of the smart contracts in the back end. So we'll see firsthand if there's some kind of rug aspect that is built into it that doesn't mean that we can't miss it that doesn't mean that we're not fallible yada 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 disclaimer we know and the DAO itself, right now, again, it's the seven of us, but the DAO and the working group that takes over the concept of the NFT launchpad, they will know. And it's probably best, and we haven't talked about this, but it would be great to be able to publish some of the backend information as can be to show that, yes, this project has, this is their smart contract, it's public, but maybe make it digestible for people to understand.
1: So that's it's, that. Maybe the notations, the notation on the code, when it's sort of displayed on Etherscan is something that we might actually explore and making it such that your average day, you know, everyday person can go through the contract and see the notations on the code and explain it away. This is actually done to draw a parallel. When I was working at Harvest Finance, they released their code sort of pretty early on in September 2020. In the sort of next two months, it circulated amongst many DeFi communities that they their code was just so beautifully written and really easy to understand because of their notation on the code. So that's something that we can definitely explore at DeFi World. I do just kind of want to draw this comparison. So when you say gatekeeper, the, the idea of DeFi World is to become something with a gravitational pull, right? Because that's kind of how we'll function best is if we're sort of helping in this sort of nexus node, central node, helping connect people, that's what kind of what our mission is. And the more people that come to us, the more powerful this mission becomes. And it sort of is quite a bit of a sort of flywheel effect. We are going to be absolutely open and transparent with everybody and try our best to sort of listen to any concerns about that kind of idea of Gatekeeping or sort of accumulating too much of a gravitational pull because the idea is to be a help to everybody in the ecosystem, not a hindrance to anyone starting up, which is why we have the NFC Launchpad, for example. So back in 2021, when DeFi was kicking off in the beginning of the year, Binance Smart Chain basically just had a sort of renaissance. You know, 100, to, It did like a 10X in a month, for example, the whole ecosystem. During that time, PancakeSwap became the only place that you could essentially get any traction. So if you wanted to be a project on Binance Smart Chain and have any success, whatever success looked like, you have to be somehow attached to PancakeSwap. You had to have an LP there, maybe get some incentives there, some kind of co-marketing with them. That was the way that it worked at the time. And for better or worse, there wasn't actually that much of a necessarily a dissident behavior in the ecosystem because of that it was just basically because pancakes thought was supporting people and actually providing all that support that people didn't get elsewhere so it's an interesting sort of thing to think about how these players do in early ecosystems these players do sort of come out for example molecule is one of these players right molecule has a large and growing ecosystem they've been bootstrapping a large portion of the ecosystem themselves for a long time and these players just emerge these earlier industries and we do sort of see ourselves as the one of those earlier players that's going to emerge with some kind of pull we're going to probably gather quite a lot of of attention sort of making sure that that's done properly in a sort of decentralized fashion without stepping on any toes and what's actually getting that net benefit to the ecosystem that's the whole point for us
0: True. i had one other question related to one of your partnerships with nft key can you just tell us briefly what that's about
1: yeah. sure so nft key i used to work on a project with a guy who had a massive interest in nfts this was back when the nft bull run was happening and so if you go to NFTkey.app, dot app you'll see one of the best built sort of under the radar NFT marketplaces in the whole of crypto right now. So they're sort of multi-chain, beautiful interface, and it's a decentralized interface. So it's actually just a UX layer on top of direct interaction with Etherscan. It's a fantastic marketplace, the best one out there, if you ask me. And as I know them personally, we're sort of waiting to a critical mass point on our NFT launchpad, which is sort of around about now. So before we sort of go with our own sort of DSI aspect to the NFT key marketplace, so it will be a bespoke DSI specific marketplace using their UX because it's a fantastic UX. I would recommend nftkey.app. Anyone who enjoys sort of NFTs, go and check that out.
0: Thank you so much, guys. All that information is really helpful. Welcome to the Health Unchained News Corner. In this news corner, I'd like to share what I've learned from using ChatGPT by OpenAI. This autoregressive language model technology uses deep learning to produce human-like text when given any text prompt like... Can blockchain be used for healthcare? Or write the instructions for a qPCR experiment? Or write a prior authorization request email to my patient's health insurance company for an expensive CAR T cell therapy? Or how many miles away is the sun? The tool attracted over a million users within five days after its release to the public. I gotta say, I was very impressed by the technology's wide ranging abilities to write pieces of software code and formulate undergrad-level responses. This tech will change the way we retrieve information about the world. It may even disrupt the internet's long-standing killer app, Search. In healthcare, people from across all parts of the industry can leverage OpenAI to streamline basic communications and even training personnel. Doctors and patients can potentially use the technology when integrated with layers of medical validation to retrieve information about drugs, symptoms, and clinical trials. Currently, there is no component of blockchain being used by chat open AI. And does that even matter? I'm not sure, Uh, but this technology is going to change the expectations we have in society. I hope we continue to advance language model AI in an ethical way. The fact that it was shared with the public for free is a step towards fair distribution of technology to all people in the world. I'll be sharing more updates about ChatGPT as it's improved and new applications are created. If you've experimented with this tool or have some interesting ideas you'd like to share, we'd love to hear from you in the Health Unchained Telegram channel. I hope you enjoyed this news corner. Be sure to subscribe to the show and give us a review on your Apple and Spotify apps. And now back to the show with Joshua Bate and Jelani Clark from World. I have a few more personal types of questions. We'll keep it pretty brief, hopefully. What is the most influential book you've read?
1: Okay. So there's a book called The Affluent Society by a guy called John Galbraith, or John Kenneth Galbraith. He was sort of one of those advisors in the foreign relations department with, I think he was with Kissinger. He may actually have been a mentor to Klaus Schwab, if I recall correctly. But I read this book in university, and it's essentially just the concept of when do we have enough? You know, when is it too much in terms of consumption and accumulation of wealth? And what should that mean for society? If we have all this money and all these resources, why don't we have such a living condition as this? And it was written in the 70s. He talked very presciently about how basically society may end up being if we continue along this path of wealth accumulation and not actually utilizing it for the betterment of health and well-being etc it's pretty great because it's kind of scarily it feels like it was written in 2010 it was written in 1970 it's just a fantastically written book he is a legend in well, economics and sort of foreign relations since i've read that book i've realized that many things that john Gow, jk galbraith did or sort of stands for i don't agree with but the book itself really influenced basically my entire thought process on sort of economics in general Thanks for sharing That's that. going to be
2: a tough one for me. I have not read a book in the last five years because it's been just papers, theses, then delving into deep. Like most of my reading is practical to what I'm actually doing at the time. So it's very hard. As it was the most influential thing that I've read recently, I'd have to say the network state from Balaji was something that was very interesting as it relates to kind of what we're building. I don't necessarily agree with everything in that, but I think it is a nice starting framework for people to understand the potential of Web3 and where this can go and how is it interesting to build again, a parallel system that opens opportunity for people across this world. I think that's been the major takeaway. And that's been my major takeaway for a lot of things in the East High space. But in terms of an actual like dedicated
0: author book, it's been a bit. Totally. No, that's fair. And the Balaji, the network state is kind of like a book as well. So I have two more questions. This is called Health Unchained, right? So I'm very much about keeping people in an active and healthy mindset, both physically and mentally. But question for you guys how do you stay active or exercise like what's your physical fitness routine if you have one if not that's fine too just let me know
1: so i do 50 press ups before i shower every day that's my main stay in terms of like some kind of calisthenics but i also practice jujitsu three to five times depending on how busy i am a week so those are my two sort of main things is just doing press ups and going to jujitsu in the uk right now it's disgustingly cold, so I don't sort of do any running or anything outside. I like to walk around when the sun's shining, and I like to stretch. I think stretching is very important. And sometimes I have one of these like sort of telescopic chin-up bars, right? And I use this quite often. But for the past sort of like six months, every time I use it, it just like collapses under my weight. So I don't know if that's <laughs> I'm putting on weight or the telescopic is getting weaker,
0: but... <laughs> yeah, careful with that.
2: So I do daily calisthenics. So I'm heavy into calisthenics. When I was younger, I used to be more of a gym person. And then I transitioned into being more focused on calisthenics, more function over necessary. I think if some young men go through this, like, I want to get jacked. And I kind of moved past that as I got older. And I wanted to be a lot more functional. So... I do calisthenics every day, about an hour to an hour and a half of calisthenics, usually full body, if not, then in the normal, like split weight vests for legs and all this kind of stuff. Every single day with gymnastic rings and, and pull-up bars. And I'm in Canada, so it's just as cold as in the UK, but I still work outside. Trying wow. try to get in like
0: <laughs> hardcore man. the whole
2: two-con and everything, and I'm doing it. Try to get in 10,000 steps minimum a day. I bought myself a raising desk and I have a treadmill under it. So I just walk and oh, do goodness. my meetings and whatnot. So I fast every day. I eat all my meals within an hour sitting. I do prolonged fasting. So
0: in a week. One hour? You're saying that you eat, you have all your calories within like about an hour every day. Yeah, like
2: an hour and a half, depending on what exactly I'm eating.
0: What time Uh, around? Like, is it late afternoon, I guess, sort of
2: thing? Ideally, five, around five-ish. But sometimes it goes later. I have a daughter, a four-year-old, and like with all this DeSign world stuff, is picking up like crazy. So I have meetings throughout the day. So sometimes it may push till like nine. But I know that's the only time that I don't eat
0: um, so interesting.
2: the rest of the day, but I also do prolonged fasting. So I'll do a 48 to 96 hour fast every week, depending on the scenario. And I'm plant-based. Oh. That's why I was very um, happy to come on here because I'm also very relatively health conscious. I believe in the 80-20. So as long as you do 80% good, you got to have some fun to a certain extent, mm-hmm. but that's my health and fitness routine. I try to meditate here and there.
0: I appreciate plan. those answers. So the next question, it's going to actually be two questions, but you only have to answer one of them. The question is, have you had an experience like a maybe an injury or some sort of medical experience where you either had to go to a hospital or something like that, that you'd want to share where the experience you had kind of helped to, you know, you've identified problems in the industry, in the healthcare system, and you think that what the blockchain industry is doing might be able to solve that. The second question that you can answer is, have you ever had a psychedelic or hallucinogenic experience using some sort of plant-based substance or chemical substance that maybe changed your life in a way or the perspective you have on life? So one, two, or both, whoever wants to go first.
2: I can go first. I think mine will be shorter. So I've been blessed to not have sustained too many serious injuries in life, but I was raised by my grandparents, mostly in my life. And so my grandfather is somebody who is very amicably and like with love and call him a cockroach because he's almost impossible to kill. He's been through, he's had gastric ulcers, quadruple bypass, lung cancer, all these kind of things. And something that stood out to me a lot as we take care of him as he gets older and going to the hospital, and it goes back to a previous point, the scientific literacy, the medical literacy that people have in terms of understanding how their body works, at least our understanding, the going paradigm understanding of how their body works and how best to take care of themselves. And I think that one thing that people don't understand relative to themselves and they understand to other things is that people do maintenance on their cars. They'll go get their oils changed and all this kind of stuff. But people kind of view their body as like, a, oh, I have a problem. Now I have to fix it. Instead of my body is a biological machine, whatever your belief systems are, whatever it is, the actual physics, it's a biological machine. And you need to do preventative maintenance to make sure that you don't have to deal with difficult recoveries if you are in the instance of injuring yourself. And so dealing with that and with an elderly people and seeing them age and trying to understand, okay, this is how they've lived their lives, this is what they need to change. That's something profound that sunk into me early on in life is how do you make sure that you put yourself in the best position such that if something does happen, your body is geared to recover, it has the capacity to bounce back better. And that's why I live the life, the health-wise life that I live. And I'm boring, I've never done drugs any hallucinogenics, I've always told myself that when I get close to like my deathbed, I'm going to do them all. <laughs> but I
1: haven't done them yet. Hopefully not at the it same time. <laughs> speed, speed up. Yeah, it might like accelerate your deathbed experience, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> So Jelani, I have also been blessed to have no serious injuries. I have a few things that might, but nothing that's going to be improved with blockchain. But my experience, (laughs) my family have quite a lot of experience in the healthcare sort of industry, in particular sort of home care, which is almost like nursing homes, but when you look after older people in their own homes. And one thing that I did notice that could be massively improved using blockchain or sort of DAO infrastructure in general, it's just the sort of handling of medicines and, and the handling of sort of treatment, patient care in the home. There's a lot of things that are recorded, which are recorded on paper using pen and paper. They're submitted at the end of the week to the office and they're recorded, you know, on an Excel sheet from this. This concept of like writing down like medicine dosages and all kinds of other important information on paper, giving it to someone and then writing up into Excel. Obviously, it's completely madness, right? But anything like that can be improved quite massively with blockchain. Unlike Jelani, I have done occasionally some sort of psychedelic stuff. I had a massive life-changing experience, which basically where I spent like a long time just thinking (laughs) quite heavily about things for like six hours. I came out of this sort of like this state of like Thinking by myself, all my friends were just like, I look like I might have like been radioactive or something. They were just like, uh, <laughs> we don't want to talk to that guy, right? But essentially, the things that I thought about that time, that summer when I did this was around the time that I was sort of coming into crypto. And it sort of showed, Jelani mentioned it earlier in the podcast, that the financial instrument knowledge that you get from, work, uh, from being in DeFi, understanding how the finance system works, how it influences people, and how it influences capital flows, and how that influences society, etc. This was something that I spent four of those six hours thinking about, basically. That was kind of what cemented me into realizing that this is the space where I want to put my hat on, right? Is that there's no other potential sort of escape or this is the potential escape hatch. And it just sort of convinced me in that moment of enlightenment that this was how it should be. And this is the only real sort of chance that people with our interest have.
0: Got you. Thanks for sharing that. I noticed you didn't say any specific substance. You don't have to, if you don't want to, that's fine. Mushrooms. Okay. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. And I think there's a Dow and lots of other organizations in the DCI space looking into how Research so I, a lot of the psychedelics could improve people's conditions.
2: Before we end off, that's actually something that I want to focus on. Another aspect that I think DSI is going to do to change the system we're in is it's going to de-taboo a lot of things because it's going to allow individuals to get funding to test and see and prove or disprove the impact of these different substances. So we talk about psychedelics, right? There's this surgence of interest in psychedelics as they relate to psychological modulators and therapies for people who suffer from psychosis and and whatnot, right? If you take a step back and think about like ancient traditional medicines or homeopathic remedies and all these kind of things that if you try to curry funds, get a grant for that in a traditional scientific sense, they're not going to give you the money. But now that you can crowdsource this, you can start doing research to see, okay, does this plant actually yield impact on this supposed effect? And if it does, then let's look at it in other frameworks. I think again, not only does it level the playing field for financials, but it levels the playing field in terms of understanding Culture, the impact of where our medicines come from, the actual holistic view of medication, and how can we bring that up to the equivalent status to these synthetic origin medications, which are not inherently bad, but it's always good to have choices and have multiple venues that you can use. So that's just one thing I wanted to bring up.
0: I love that you're the one that shared that having not done psychedelics, (laughs) but I agree with you. I think that there's so much potential for us to learn more about plants, nature, the universe, our brains. Exactly. Uh, So guys, I just want to thank you so much again for being on this show and sharing your experience, your insights, and more about Desai World. Joshua, Jelani, do you have any last takeaways you want to share with the audience before we conclude here?
1: Yeah, I just want to say thank you so much for inviting us both to be here. We have a number of initiatives coming up, which are really interesting. Obviously, our V2 launch, our pre-DAO launch, but we also have a number of sort of outreach initiatives and Jelani is hosting Desai Peaks coming up very soon. And I'll let him sort of give a brief overview of that. But just want to say thank you again and come visit us at our Discord and on our Twitter.
2: Again, Ray, thank you for this. I think this has been great. This has been a great conversation. To Josh's last point, do reach out to us. Our DMs are open. We're always eager to learn and interact with folks and talk about design And if you have a project, we can help you get that up. And if you don't need help, if you just want to talk about it, we can do that. We can ideate. As it relates to DSI Peaks, so DSI Peaks is an initiative that I, myself, and in collaboration with other individuals from different groups are putting together. And what this is, be a look back, kind of a a state of the market roundup of what's happened in DSI in 2022. And we're going to have this as an ongoing yearly event, but also a monthly event. So we're always going to look back what happened in DSI last month. So this is going down December 17th. I'm not sure if this is going to be out by then, but it's going to be a six hour live stream with myself and two co-hosts, and everybody is welcome. We have place for 12 speakers to come up, and we're going to talk about different topics in DeFi, in DeSci, from funding to events to adoption, culture, ethics, and all kinds of things. So it's going to be a fireside. It's going to get spicy. It's going to be a good source of information if you're trying to learn about what's going on in DeSci, both in the past and where we're going to go into the future. And so everybody is welcome. Ray, you yourself are welcome as well to, to participate. We just want to see more interaction to kind of get the name of DeSci out there.
0: I appreciate that. And with that, guys, thank you again so much, and I'm looking forward to hearing more about Side World. Looking Great. Yeah, thanks for having us. Work. Hey, all you cyberpunk health warriors and nimble digital disruptors. Check out healthunchained.org and remember to subscribe to Health Unchained on Stitcher, SoundCloud google play and itunes join the health unchained community on our telegram group t.me health unchained if you enjoyed this episode tell your friends your bosses your teams your students to listen and subscribe thank you